listeners, or should I say afternoon, <laughs> it's your boy, Mason Taylor, a.k.a. Limp Biscuit. Hey guys, it's Alex Wu, also known as GarageBand. <laughs> and thank you for tuning in for our seventh episode of Where's, Where's the, the Action? Action? Alright guys, we'll be honest with you. Let, let, <laughs> let's go into our full disclosure segment. So basically, um, we have had many technical difficulties today. Um, I was right, of course, as always, by you know doing the right procedures to set up this podcast, but nobody listened to me, and that is why we are on uh, hour four of getting this podcast recorded. Almost um, five hours. Almost five hours of technical difficulties. But we made it here, hopefully. Uh, just check the levels and see if we're still recording. <laughs> Okay, um, you may have also noticed that the sound quality might be a little better than it used to be. We don't know for sure. We're just freeballing it here. That is why it is because I have a new mic, uh, and Alex will go into the specifics on that a little later. Uh, Alex, anything else you got to say for our full disclosure segment? Yep, so our next one is, this is our very first R-rated movie. Um, Django Unchained is R-rated because there is graphic violence, language, and some nudity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All around a a great film. (laughs) Okay, and uh, last but not least, we have a very special guest. This is our first guest ever on Where's the Action? We are privileged to have him here. Please give a warm welcome to... Hey guys, this is Case Keeley here. Uh, I actually was the one who chose Django Unchained this week. Uh, there's some pretty good historical parts in it, and I thought I could uh, provide some some good context. So that's why I'm on the show this week. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. For the for the listeners at home, uh, Chase has a what's called a history miner. Oh uh, yes, that is true. So he mines uh, mines uh, history. Yes, he mines <laughs> history. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, let's dig into our sponsors. So first, uh, this is a very near and dear sponsor uh, for all of us, I'm sure. Um, as some of you may know, Papa John's had a pizza promotion recently with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, aka the Shack. Um, and the shakaroni pizza promised a lot of pepperoni, two metric tons of pepperoni on top. Uh, this is not true. I have an insider info, okay? He worked at Papa John's. You know what he told me? He told me that the only difference between a shakaroni pizza and a large pepperoni pizza is three pepperonis. That's it. That's the difference. And they charge you $4 more. Alex, what do you think about that? I mean... You really like your pizza. <laughs> I do like my pizza. As an obese man myself. <laughs> Case, what do you think about it? I think that? it's kind of a disgrace. It is Shaq a disgrace. His name. Yes, I will no longer be following him on OnlyFans. Okay, um, <laughs> next sponsor is... Uh, Alex, take it away. Yep, so our next sponsor is Pseudotac. Uh, it's actually the microphone that... Mason recently got, and we're actually sharing today. (laughs) (laughs) We're very close quarters right now. (laughs) Uh, Just a little bit about Pseudotac. Pseudotac is formed to bring innovative product and high-quality service to each customer with a new and unique shopping experience, specializing new energy, product, electronics, etc., and offering a simple, smart, and comfortable life to those who like to be ahead of trend instead of following it. Very (laughs) high-class microphone that we're using. 
Um, Pseudotech, if you want to send me a microphone, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, Pseudotech, really well um, quality microphone. Really happy to be using it. Yeah, let us know what you think about the sound quality in the comments or wherever. I don't even know where. On Instagram or wherever we are. Um, So, uh, there's this last sponsor um, affected all of us in a major way. They, I'll let Case talk about this one because I get a little too impassionate about it. But let's just say uh, it affected us very deeply. Yeah, definitely. So our next sponsor is the Brooklyn Nets, specifically Chubby James Harden. Um, So first off, the Brooklyn Nets are an American professional basketball team founded in 1967 based in the New York City borough of Brooklyn. And uh, James Harden, who recently became chubby, me and Mason noticed uh, when we were, we were uh, watching some, some In videos. Greensville, which happens to be <laughs> the same place as in True. Django Unchained. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he recently joined his buddies, uh, KD and Kyrie, up in New York. But uh, I think he has to lay off those cheeseburgers. And those shakaroni pizzas, yeah, am I right? Definitely. <laughs> But yeah, that's, uh, that's our final sponsor, the yeah. Brooklyn Nets. It shook me to the core when I saw James Harden. Uh, big bulbous, um, <laughs> big chungus. Anyway, uh, anything else before we dig into the move? I think we're good. Think yeah? We're good. We can jump into the action scenes. So this is a very long movie, two hours and about 40, 45 minutes. Um, long movie, but very good quality. Lots of action. Um, and we'll get right into it. So in the very first scene... Um, Django is a slave and he is walking on a trail with other slaves coming from Texas. Uh, a guy named Dr. Schultz stops them, stops them and the two men that are bringing those uh, slaves over to wherever they're going to. And Schultz is looking for a slave um, who happens to be Django and he makes a little conversation with Django and then he wants to buy the slave off of the two white men. Um, There's a little small talk, and then a little strife happens, and Schultz ends up, uh, how would you say, quick draw, sleight of hand, pistol shot into one of the men, Um, and then he shoots the other guy in the leg, and the horse falls down. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't he shoot the horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he shoots the horse right in the head. So And so... But that man, he um, he's actually just like in pain, laying on the ground. Um, but Schultz kills one guy, severely injures the other guy. Very cool scene. Frees Django, and other slaves actually get free as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of the start of uh, Dr. King Schultz's partnership with Django throughout the movie. Uh, by the way, Dr. King Schultz is named. Uh, aptly Dr. King because he is seen as a liberator for black Americans. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this next scene, uh, basically uh, Dr. Schultz and Django are now together uh, and they are traveling towards Daughtry, Texas because Django knows of a few bounties that Dr. King needs because Dr. King is a bounty hunter. 
And so they go to a local town. It was Daughtry, right? Yeah, Daughtry, Texas. Yeah, that is where the band Daughtry was founded. <laughs> and so they go to this local town, and apparently they don't like, they don't take kindly to black people on horses in this town. And so the sheriff gets called to the scene. Meanwhile, Django and Dr. Schultz are just kind of chilling in a bar. They make themselves drinks. Uh, that's a big dick flex, in my opinion. Um, and so basically, the sheriff uh, tries to get. Dr. Schultz and Django to leave town, uh, but Dr. Schultz does not like that, and so he shoots the sheriff. Uh, and so then the marshal and the whole town come around, and they are basically saying, you know, get out of town or whatever. They want to kill him, but then Dr. Schultz says, actually, your sheriff was a wanted man, and um, so he actually did them a favor, and he says to the marshal, in other words, marshal, you owe me $200. So I thought that was I, I this the whole front half of this movie really shows uh, Dr. Schultz's uh, ability to be a bad a mother father. Yeah, uh, I he, would say he was quite a smooth talker during this scene. Yeah, and throughout the whole movie, that's really a recurring motif. Yeah. Uh, I would say there was one part during the scene. I was just kind of confused how there were all those people just in the windows, and there were like hundred people in the town, and I just figured at least one person would try to shoot. Dr. Schultz, but I mean, I guess he's such a smooth talker. He's a smooth talker. Yeah. And I think part of it is that he is German and they're very intrigued by this foreigner. Yes. Yeah, you true. know, they have he the Dr. Schultz has this sort of cadence in the way he talks that kind of sounds interesting <laughs> to the ear. You know what I mean? He just kind yeah. of sounds like you want to hear what he says. So That's I true. think uh, he can get out of any situation like that. All right, so uh, after that scene, we had uh, one of my favorite scenes, actually. Um, so Django and Dr. King Schultz, they now are going to their next bounty, um, which Django was able to kind of fill in Dr. King Schultz about. Um, the people that they were looking for were called the Brittle Brothers. Um, and Django actually knew these people from his past life. And this is kind of where the revenge portion of the movie comes. So the Brittle brothers were the slave kind of like drivers that worked on the plantation that um, Django and his wife, who will uh, be introduced to later in the movie, her name is Broomhilda. Um, but <laughs> they were the slave drivers who actually put the runaway um, kind of brand on their cheeks and you know Django was pretty uh, pretty pissed off at those two guys mm -hmm. especially for how they treated his wife mm. so this is one of my favorite scenes because it kind of starts the whole revenge portion of the movie but so they go to uh, Big Daddy's plantation also known as Colonel Sanders he looks very <laughs> yes, similar we all agree he looks like uh, Colonel Sanders very similar to Colonel Sanders but um, it goes to Big Daddy's plantation which apparently is in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, but it didn't really look like it kind of in the movie, but we'll, we'll skip over that for now. So it was a really cool scene where Big Daddy was, was kind of confused why they were at the plantation, but it turns out the Brittle Brothers were actually working at his plantation under a different name. Do you remember the name that they were then? Or? No, I think they were like the Schaefers or something. Yeah, the Schaefer. Schaefer, Schaefer, yeah. Schaefer, yeah. Anyway, so they're wanted criminals and going under different names all the time. So basically, Django comes in and 
this brittle brother is getting ready to whip one of the slaves that's on Big Daddy's plantation, and he's like all like he thinks he's got the Bible with him and he's uh, all better than thou or whatever, and he's got Bible pages like put on his shirt. The whipper. Yeah, the whipper. The whipper snapper. The whipper snapper. <laughs> and then he's like getting ready to whip this this slave girl. And then you hear this like crazy music coming in. It's like Yeah. It's like very uh Western. Very orchestra orchestral western. Oh, yeah. speaking of which Sorry, I didn't mean to cut in, but I had to say, this music soundtrack, the uh, composer, main composer, mm. is Ennio Morricone, who, if you have seen classic westerns of yesteryear with Clint Eastwood and some of those, uh, he is a very famous uh, composer for westerns. And so uh, Tarantino, the director of this movie, decided to bring back Morricone and um, make this score. So it, it does have a very classic Western feel to it. Yeah, I do think that kind of lended some some credence to Tarantino's uh, Tarantino effort yes. here. Yes, yes, it did. So, okay, anyway, sorry. Back to the action. Um, he's getting ready to um, whip this girl, and then Django. Keep in mind, he has this legendary blue suit on now. Um, he got pimped out. Yeah, and he takes his pistol out. And just freaking goes into him. Just boom, 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 boom. Six shooter. All shots like right into him. And the blood sprays out from his chest all over the uh, the Bible page. It's pretty mm-hmm. gruesome. But um, he's able to take out those brothers. And then uh, Dr. King Schultz comes in. And he's like, oh, where's the last one? Because there's three brothers. And the third brother was out in the field. And uh, he's riding away on a horse, and Schultz is like, all right, time to take matters in my own hands. So he takes a sniper out, boom, snipes him right off the horse. Blood sprays all over the cotton on the fields. And uh, we'll talk about this later, but I kind of feel like the blood sprays are some symbolism, which is pretty cool. Right. I like this part because it was very cinematic. Uh, This was really the first time that Django is shining instead of Dr. Schultz. I felt like Django is more rooted in revenge and Schultz is more for the monetary side of bounty hunting. Um, but still, nonetheless, uh, very cool to see. It's a good combo, too. If you have someone who really wants the money and really wants the revenge, then uh, they're kind of unstoppable. Yes, that is evident with this movie. So, uh, after this, Alex is going to explain the next scene. Yep, so Big Daddy was like, all right, get off my field um and so dr schultz and django take off um the scene goes now to nighttime it's probably around like in the mountains or whatever big field that they're camping out into and the wagon that they were using um is like in the middle of a field and what's funny is like the the wagon has a tooth on top of the wagon and it it actually, it's from it's Schultz's wagon because he's a dentist. And there's a cut scene where it shows that Schultz is taking out money from the tooth and putting in dynamite. And what's happening right now is Schultz and Django are actually out, um, far out from the wagon, and they're actually waiting um, from pop, people that are probably going to be hunting them down. Uh, Schultz has this mindset um, of knowing like he's probably going to be tracked down by someone um, soon and so 
it actually does be the members of the KKK um, which do show up to their uh, wagon that is sitting in the middle of the field and what happens is Dr. Schultz being the the sniper he is um, shoots or shoots the the tooth on top of the wagon and it explodes the dynamite explodes the members get um, burnt and all the members are now running away from the scene and it goes to this another cutscene where Django takes the rifle from Schultz and he's gonna snipe down one of the members that are running away and Big Daddy's getting away. <laughs> yeah, it takes down Big Daddy. Uh, and then Case, if you want to add on to that little scene right there. Yeah, so with the death of Big Daddy, we don't actually see the bullet like hit him, um, but he falls off the horse. And then the classic Tarantino scene, the red blood just like splatters all over the, the white stallion that he's riding on. So when we were talking about earlier with the symbolism uh, that might be present with the, the red blood splattering on all the white uh, objects, um, I kind of thought that it might mean the blood is on the white man's hands in this situation. So you've got the cotton earlier, you got the white stallion, you got the Bible page that the blood's splattering on, and then later, uh, we don't want to spoil it yet, but uh, there'll be some more uh, blood splattering, uh, possibly with uh, a man named uh, Calvin Candy. So we'll get to that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I I don't agree with that. I would say, I don't think the white men are particularly wrong in this movie. Um, you know, I think they were justified in what they were doing. Completely kidding, by the way. <laughs> Just a joke. Please, please yes. don't demonetize this. Um, so anyway, speaking of Calvin Coolidge, <laughs> Calvin Candy is the main antagonist of this movie. Uh, so after this little Triple K incident with... Django and Dr. Schultz, they train uh, Django to uh, not only shoot better and become a better bounty hunter, uh, but also to read and to, you know, become a little more literate. Um, and so Dr. Schultz really helps him out in that way. And he says, look, if you can help me get through the winter and make a few more bounties, then we can go find your wife, Brumhilda which is apparently a name from a very famous German uh, short story. Yeah, uh, and it means, it means broom handle. Yes, it does mean broom handle. And if you saw her, she looks just like a broom Hilda. So um, Calvin... <laughs> so anyway... Broomy. Broomy. Oh, broomy. I'm going to ride that broom. So... <laughs> Uh, where were we? Calvin Calvin Candy. Calvin Candy, of course. How could I forget? So after this winter, um, Dr. Schultz and Django are on the hunt for Broomhilda. And they figure out that Broomhilda is held, he, was bought by this man named Calvin Candy. And so Dr. Schultz and Django uh, plan to meet with him at some type of, uh, would you say it's some type of like... Uh, club for the elite or yeah what is like, the historical pre precedent for this yeah i would say it's some sort of a gentleman's club of the day it had some hawaiian or not hawaiian uh, egyptian themes yikes actually. we're very sensitive in this podcast <laughs> yeah uh there was like some egyptian like hieroglyphics on the outside that's so. right and they had that uh egyptian bust in there too yeah oh it was called the the cleopatra club that was it yeah, yeah. Okay. but uh yeah calvin candy is definitely a a man of of many countries because he's francophile too like excuse uh, me francophile i've never heard that yeah they said uh what is francophile? monsieur candy he that's french not frank francophile that's the word 
Should we look it up? Jamie, should we look it up? Let's see. Yeah, young Jamie. I mean, it's not that important. Frank, Franco Fi- Frank oh. Oh. person who is fond or greatly admires France. So I guess oh. he was a Francophile. Yeah. Is that how you say it, Franco? Yeah. So what if you like James Franco? Ah, James Franco. Would that be a Francophile? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, Calvin Candy, this neophytic... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was the word? I already forgot. Troglodyte. Um, <laughs> he is introduced in this Cleopatra club to Django and... Uh, what's that guy's name? Dr. Schultz. So they walk into this room. They walk into this room. Uh, you know, it's very well lit. They've got servants and stuff. But it's 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 Calvin Candy sitting on this couch, facing away from the door, and watching these two what are called mandingos fighting on the floor. And mandingo is basically a word made up by Tarantino, the director, to mean uh, how would you say this? You're the history buff. Uh, yeah, some would sort it be of uh, a slave fighter. Slave is that... fighter, I think, right. is a good way to say it. So Calvin Candy has this slave fighter, and I guess the the rich socialites of the day fought Mandi- mandingos mm-hmm. uh, in this world that Tarantino has crafted, and so this is what Calvin Candy's doing. He's watching these two mandingos fight to the death, uh, and eventually, this scene is very gruesome. Uh, this was almost a little too much for me, uh, but I, I did manage to stomach it. So one mandingo is on top of the other one, and uh, Calvin Candy's, you know, egging him on, like, say, go, go, you know, gouge his eyes out or whatever. So that's exactly what the mandingo does. He pokes his fingers in the Ooh. guy's eyes. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, that was kind of... Was that Fred? Is that the mandingo's name? Eskimo Joe? No. <laughs> Fred, Fred, Fred Flintstone? Fred Flintstone. Fred Flintstone, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he gouges his eyes out, right? And then Calvin Candy says, Finish him. And, and he throws a hammer in the ring as Ooh. if that's legal. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess all it's, of it's, it's illegal. Like, it's like yeah. UFC fighting. Oh, I'm just going to throw a chair. Yeah, throw a chair, yeah. <laughs> Except this one is actually real. Um, yeah. And so basically... The, the Mandingo on top, uh, who is Calvin Candy's Mandingo, um, he bashes, he bludgeons the other Mandingo, and now he is dead because the hammer to the head is not, not fun. Yeah. Uh, so that is our first introduction to the main villain of the movie. Uh, I thought it was great because as soon as the fight is over, he turns around and Tarantino does that classic zoom in mm-hmm. with a, you know that whoosh sound? Yeah. That, and it, and it zooms in. And uh, not to mention, it's Leonardo DiCaprio uh, playing Calvin Candy. So this is interesting to see him in a villain role. Usually we see him in a, uh, yeah. how should I say this, a hero or a, a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, so this introduction is, is uh, startling. And that, I think that's what Tarantino does best. I think his character work, besides the violence and the nudity and the 110 <laughs> inwards in this movie, and yes, that is how many, it set a record. Um, but I think he does well with crafting characters, like introducing them into the movie. Like this was probably an hour and a half into the movie at yeah. this point. And so we finally got to this character who is very memorable um, with this scene. So. And just earlier we saw a cameo from Jonah Hill for like five minutes in the whole movie. Yeah, pretty big, Jonah pretty Hill. big actor. Uh, but he wasn't too fat. I feel like he was in between fat and skinny. Yeah, he's a good size. He was James Harden, Probably. except <laughs> <laughs> except a little less. Um, oh. <laughs> so anyway, this was the legendary meeting of Calvin Candy and Django and Dr. Schultz. Um, and so 
they, Dr. Schultz and Django, mostly Dr. Schultz does the talking, and he's basically saying, hi, I want to buy one of these Mandingo fighters because they look like you have a, quite the arsenal. Um, so uh, basically Calvin Candy says, sure, come on up to my plantation um, called Candyland. That is where they're heading this scene. Um, <laughs> sorry, there's uh, there's been some notes added. Um, <laughs> they're heading to Candyland, so just to, just to let you know, <laughs> to look at the uh, fighters, these pieces of flesh. Um, so that is where they are going. But and we should add the reason why they're doing all of this, uh, trying to get the mandingos and stuff, is because they are secretly trying to get Broomhilda from Calvin Candy's grasp mm -hmm. uh, in a very covert way, kind of like an undercover type situation. Yeah. Um, right, so on their way to Candyland, as we uh, mentioned earlier, um, they are walking on this path, and along them is the main characters and also a couple of the Mandingo fighters with them. And then the scene, one of the fighters... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, sorry, sorry. I had to get it. Mason, oh focus, wait. Focus. Okay, sorry. Sorry, and listeners. Um in this scene, uh one of the fighters is actually trying to escape. Um and so he wrestles around with the, the people in the area. He makes his way out of the group and what happens is um, he does climb up the tree, right? Is that correct? The runaway. Yeah, the yes, runaway. Yes, he's up, runaway he's up a tree baby. without a paddle, yes. Right, right. So he, he climbs up, and then eventually um, Calvin Candy was able to persuade him into coming back down. Um, and in this scene where he was talking back and forth, um, after some settlement, um, the dogs um, in this area um, actually go after this uh, Mandingo fighter and actually bite him and eat him to shreds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very scary, vicious dogs um, eating up a man. Uh, you would not want this dog as your <laughs> your pet. Uh, these, these uh, are, no, that's, yes, you're that's very true. correct. <laughs> these are very scary. I, I was like, wow, this is, this is very... Uh, Gory as I as yeah. I, as I saw that was it. the one scene where I kind of had to look away a little bit when his <laughs> his uh, skin was getting torn off. And um, spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but the same thing happens in that. And I watched it with uh, Case here. Oh, and he yeah. also looked away at that scene too. That one might have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so apparently, I looked this up. Apparently, Tarantino wanted to make the dog scene longer in this movie. Oof. But he, he said he, he would, but then he said it would traumatize the audience, which <laughs> yeah. this one basically did in this edited form. Um, so yeah, very gruesome. And it does come up uh, towards the end as a reminder to the cruelty of Calvin Candy and um, just general uh, evilness of his entire plantation. Um, so uh, special guest, you have the next scene. All right, so yeah, I'll take it from here. But uh, going off what Mason just said, it is kind of kind of hard at first because you think of of um leo or calvin candy as this kind of <laughs> <laughs> sorry more note talk more focus, note talk. focus focus he's been focus. a protagonist in so many movies so you, at first you're kind of like is this guy evil or not like he seems what? like that's, Who, that's calvin how, candy that's how i felt no way i did not think he was evil until even when you saw the dinner scene. even when you saw 
him making two mandingos fight to the death I, and authorizing someone to get eaten alive by dogs, you still think he was a good person. Uh, he's nice I didn't think he was a good person. I just thought because of uh, because Leo is kind of typecast in good roles, it was making me believe like maybe he's not as bad of a guy as I thought. What? But, but, <laughs> okay, then we're getting okay. to the dinner scene. Oh, true. Where oh, he true. truly becomes Okay, evil, I'll g- evil I mean, man. I guess I'll give, give that to you. Give him a chance. All right. So, you know, he was good at the end. Give him a chance. Get <laughs> <laughs> so good intentions. The dinner scene, um, also kind of a, a classic Tarantino scene because it's very long and they just stay in the same setting the whole time, which uh, you'll see in, like, Inglorious Bastards and other, other mm. scenes where they're kind of just, like, sitting at a table. Um, but this scene is where... Uh, Django and Dr. King Schultz are trying to finally kind of make their their deal with Calvin Candy about which Mandingo they're going to buy when in actuality they're going to try to buy Brumhilda. So dinner scene starts out. It's kind of like classic southern southern dinner. All mm-hmm. the, the slaves the are... Fixins in the fixings yeah. in, in the slavery. But yeah. there's like an excessive amount of slaves just like lining the walls, just like ready to fill up all their cups and everything like they're all uh, the dinner is very formal you can tell it's in in calvin candy's uh, most formal of uh, of dining rooms and you've got steven here i don't know have we talked about steven yet uh he hasn't really come up in the action yet so, so probably not steven is samuel L. jackson and he is calvin candy's kind of like uh dick sucker yeah, I would say he... Uh, as, as you put, yeah, he, so eloquently. He sucks off Leonardo DiCaprio's character, <laughs> as in he's his right-hand man, and everything he says is right. So, kind of playing like the Uncle Tom character, I would say. Uh, Do you agree with that? No. I think Uncle Tom was virtuous. Uh, I, Steven, I... So, uh, how, do I, how do I describe this? Uh, he, he's, he's not as nice as Uncle Tom. Yeah, I would agree with I, that. I think th- he does go at odds with uh, Calvin a little bit. So he's not like, you know, Yeah. he doesn't get spanked all the time. You can tell Calvin respects him because he does talk back to Calvin without getting, like, bludgeoned like some of the other slaves. Yeah, but... I think Steven's a top and Calvin's a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> that if, might... if we were to put it in terms that everyone can understand. Yeah, 2021 terms, you yes. could say. Um, we're all inclusive. But anyway, so we're here at the, the dinner and... Uh, Calvin Candy's sister, who I believe is widowed, I think that's why she kind of like hangs out with them all the time. She's trying to hook up with Calvin. Yeah, it's very weird. He kisses her like on the lips, possibly. Oh, yeah. Like it, uh, you, like, it, it was, was on really each close. cheek, it was but it was cheeks. a little too long. It was I saw the cheeks th- in a very intimate way. Yes, <laughs> I saw some slobber. Uh, <laughs> but she is like the Southern Belle trope to the extreme. She kind of just like uh, plays into it. With the fan, yeah. like, oh lordy, you know how they <laughs> yeah. do it. It's she's pretty annoying. Like she was my least favorite character, in, I think, but in the she movie. does play a pivotal role in this scene. Yeah, that is true. Um, she brings up at the dinner that um, Django might have the hots for Broomhilda because Broomhilda was here. She was um, one of the kind of like maids, I guess, that was helping the dinner party out. And Django keeps like looking at her, and she like might be looking at him a little bit. And I guess uh, Laura Lee, the uh, the sister, was very observant, and she's like, "Oh, I think he's got the hots. 
Like she's got the hots for Django. <laughs> and it was just like so Dang. annoying. Lara Lee is in the studio right now. <laughs> she yeah, just said we that. We actually got her in. <laughs> That's but, our um, extra. She's our extra, extra guest. Yeah, we have another guest for this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> but then that kind of gets the whole thing rolling. Where now Steven's pretty suspicious too. He's looking up, looking Django up and down. He's like, oh shoot, I think Django might know Brumhilda. And Steven actually um, reprimands Brumhilda in the back, kind of like in the kitchen. He's mm. like, oh, you know that. You know that guy. And Brumhilda's like, no. Like, you can tell she's, she's being a pretty bad liar in that, uh, that scene. But she starts getting pretty emotional. She's like, dang, they're, uh, they're really on to me now. So then Steven, the, uh, the top slave of the, the plantation, he comes back into the dinner party and... They're kind of small talking and stuff. It's kind of awkward at times. It's kind of a, a weird uh, dynamic between them all because you've got like Calvin Candy, German guy, uh, Jamie Fox, Jamie Fox sitting at the table, which Stephen was not happy with. Um, but Stephen talks to Calvin, kind of like whispers. He's like, "Hey, I need to to talk with you in the library." So. Eventually, Calvin thought it was pretty rude to leave his guests, the classic Southern gentleman. Um, but yeah, eventually Stephen's able to get Calvin into the library, and this is where it starts getting bad. So Stephen is like, "Hey, Django and Broomhilda, they're a thing. Like, I think it's, uh, I think that's his wife." And Calvin's like, "Oh, no way! Like, I couldn't have been fooled like this." And Stephen was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, you can." <laughs> so then this turns on. This is what I was saying earlier. Right up until this, I could see Calvin as kind of like a guy who did what he had to. That's what he thought. But Yikes. <laughs> right here, he becomes a very terrible guy. So he comes back out, and I don't know. This is a pretty, uh, pretty striking scene. He pulls out this box, <laughs> and inside the box is the skull I can't remember the guy's name. The, it's the skull of the previous Stephen who worked at the Candyland Plantation. His name was Ben. Oh, yeah. That's Good old it. Big old ben. ben. Uncle Ben. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did not mean that. To, I didn't uh, mean that. Have to edit some this of is explicit, this okay? Is, this is the crossover not... <laughs> we, we always wanted. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> this, is a, this is a very sensitive subject. <laughs> So old, old Ben, old Ben. We. <laughs> this is why this one's explicit. Old Ben's skull. Is this Marvel? Is in this box, and for some reason they were they, Calvin kept the skull, and old Ben like took care of Calvin when he was a kid, took care of his daddy. So <laughs> took care of his daddy. So he is kind of like uh, a family heirloom at this point. His skull. So he pulls his skull out and he tells the whole um, dinner party about the um, these certain ridges. <laughs> these certain ridges. Alex is looking up Uncle Ben on uh, Google right now. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But there are these certain ridges that oh, apparently no. are on uh, Old Ben's skull, which is not true at all, but uh, Calvin's just saying it. It sounded good when he was saying it. It sounded very scientific. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh... He, so he was saying how a slave's brain, which is apparently a different species than a white uh, regular person, is very... Uh, the part of the brain that is in charge of submission is larger than any other parts, such as creativity. Mm -hmm. So that is the point he was trying to make. 
And he also said that about Django, who was sitting at the table. Yeah. And did not take it too kindly. Yeah, Django's pretty pissed off at that point. I mean, I would be too. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's like the ultimate insult. But basically, like, he's doing this whole thing, and then Calvin just keeps getting angrier and angrier. And I'm pretty sure he takes out, like, a hammer, and then is that where he, like, crushes um, old Ben's skull? Yeah, yeah. he crushes, the, he just crushes him. And yeah. I mean, like, that was the guy that took care of him and took care of his dad, and he just, like, just for this one moment, he crushes this guy's skull, which he took careful, uh, careful considerations to keep it in this box for such a long time so he really must have had a temper tantrum right and i'm not justifying him in any way but when you say that you know he was a nice guy before this not a nice guy but you understood yeah if you put yourself in calvin candy's shoes at that point think about what dr schultz and Django have done they have wasted several days just from travel to the club to Candyland, you know they're give, he's giving them a tour. He's letting them in his house. He's letting them eat his dinner, all for a, a business transaction that is completely fake, yeah, and that, that they weren't true. going to follow through with. They were just there for Broomhilda. Yeah, I mean honestly, when you put it that way, like Calvin's kind of justifiably pissed off. I would say. Yes. No. I. Yeah. That's what. I, and that's that is Tarantino's strength. Yeah, you know he he has so many layers for even the villains mm-hmm. that uh, it makes it that much more believable and motivations are clear. So yeah, we should clarify we're not uh, not condoning any of his his outside practices, but as far as inside the the dinner party here, he has a right to be mad because they've basically just been wasting his time. So what happens from here is it uh, it gets pretty out of control. So he slams old Ben's skull, then. He, he like grabs Bromhilda, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in this scene, you might want to fill us in here, Mason. Um, the the blood that uh, comes out of Leonardo DiCaprio when he slams his glass on the table—it's actually real blood, right? Yes. Uh, this was not planned, so he wasn't holding the glass. The glass was on the table. Oh yeah, that's right. But uh, Leo, aka Calvin Candy, slammed his hand down in a fit of rage, and when he brought his hand back up. There's full of blood. Uh, that scene is authentic. That was real blood. Tarantino thought that it was such a good scene that he kept it in the movie because Leo kept going with the scene in character. He never broke. Um, and so that was interesting. But um, there, like in that same scene, uh, it, there is one cut, and it shows Leo smearing blood on Broomhilda's face. Uh, I thought that it was authentic I also blood, did, yeah. but uh, upon a quick search, it, the scene was cut and fake blood was uh, added in. So that was just an extra little fun fact mm-hmm. tidbit about the movie. Yeah, I but that was cool. Though. It shows Leo's range. I mean, he's not just what was his name, Jack from Titanic, Titanic anymore. Yeah, he's or Jordan Belfort from uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Never seen that one. We'll oh, do that one next. Yeah, we should. You guys can do that. Yeah, one. lots of nudity. I like it. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so yes, that happens, and basically, uh, Calvin Candy says, "Look, you're not here to buy my Mandingo. You're here to buy Broomhilda. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay twelve thousand dollars for her." Yeah, which and was the agreed upon amount for Eskimo Mandingo. Joe. Eskimo Joe, aka Black Hercules, aka I'm not going to say it, um, <laughs> but there is a slur used one uh, one out of the 110. Uh, words um and so yes and dr schultz says i'm sure this is a negotiation that is not uh negotiable and 
uh, Calvin ba- basically says, yeah, you have no choice. So. Yeah, so Calvin's kind of like fuming with rage at this point. Like Leo, one of his best performances in the movie where he just looks like so mad. And pretty much all King Schultz had to do in this moment, Brumhilda was free. Uh, Django was going to get to spend the rest of his life with her. All he had to do, all King Schultz had to do, was shake Leon- or shake um, Calvin Candy's hand. But King Schultz, being the guy that he was, he just couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so before that, there's this whole, you know, uh, Calvin has to draft the contract oh, yeah, to right. free Broomhilda, and all this time, uh, Doctor King Schultz is just contemplating this, like the fact that he's in this situation, and the fact that I think he just honestly got fed up with the whole act of slavery. Yeah. Like this whole time, he you know he f- helped free the slaves, and he's been on the good side the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I think he didn't feel like he was doing enough, and so letting Calvin Candy live was not an option in Doctor Schultz's book. Yeah. So he had been contemplating this the whole time before the contract was established, um, and so the contract got notarized, and then uh, all Calvin Candy wanted was a handshake, and uh, Doctor Schultz could not bring himself. To shake the hand of a man who had done so many egregious acts against uh, black Americans and uh, just committed this this uh, horrible slavery, and so instead of <laughs> instead of shaking his hand, um, Doctor Schultz plants a bullet in his heart. Yeah, he pulls um, out that little uh, the sleeve pistol again. Yeah, it's pretty he, cool. He did earlier when he shot down the sheriff in Daughtry, but. That was pretty classic. It was pretty classic. And uh, like you said earlier, it goes back to the motif of shooting something white. Oh, yeah. So with the blood so, contrasting the white carnation. Yeah, so Calvin Candy had the little flower on his, uh, I guess, his lapel, lapel, I think they yeah. call it. And uh, King Schultz, pretty good shot. He, like, shot right through the flower. And white flower, of course. And then blood splattering everywhere, which kind of goes back, like Mason said, to my motif of... The blood really seems like it's on the the white man's hands here, which he disagreed with. But uh, I mean, I I think yeah, I mean, I think you're right to an extent. I just think it's a more of a purity, like everything is stained. Yeah, like even even the white horse who didn't do anything, mm-hmm. or the cotton who didn't do anything, or this flower didn't do anything, that's but true. there's still blood on it. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, that's profound. I know. Maybe I should be a philosopher <laughs> or something. <laughs> Anyway, so right after um, Dr. Schultz shoots uh, Calvin Candy dead, which is a very satisfying scene to see, um, considering all the stuff that Calvin Candy's done, uh, Dr. Schultz has the famous line of, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. And at this moment is when the whole uh, rest of the movie shifts from you know this very dramatic uh, tour de force acting to uh, more of an action uh, standpoint. Yeah, this I mean, is, if you're asking where the action is, it's in the last part of the it's movie. It's in right the here. last hour uh, because this movie is 15 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, it turns into a big slow motion brawl where everybody's just kind of reeling from the death of Calvin Candy, um, including uh, Stephen, who is uh, comforting, you know, the dead body. He's like, no, you know, whatever, uh, because he took care of him for so long. And so uh, one of Do- Calvin Candy's henchmen named Butch, um, he decides to pull the trig on Dr. Schultz, and he um, eventually uh, shoots Schultz, and he gets blown away by a big shotgun. And um, so now Dr. Schultz is also dead. Uh, rip to a legend. Honestly, this one hit 
pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, he kind of made it pretty easy for him to be your favorite character in the movie, besides maybe Django, but King Schultz was a good guy throughout right. the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, you look at how much he's helped even Django, not to mention all the other slaves he's freed, um, but just, you know, he taught Django how to, how to read, you know, how to write, how to shoot well, yeah. how to be a bounty hunter, how to make money. Um, and he granted his freedom, and now he's basically delivering him to Broomhilda. And then later, Django actually taught Dog the Bounty Hunter how to bounty hunt, and that's yes, in the sequel. That, so. That's in the sequel. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's a, a little, it's an unknown gem. Um, so then, <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah, it is an Easter egg. Yeah. Um, so basically, after Doctor Schultz is dead, it's still slow motion. Um, Django pulls out his pistols and shoots Butch. And he, which is the henchman that shot Dr. Schultz, and then he shoots Calvin Candy's lawyer guy. We don't know his name. Didn't bother to look it up. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. And so, um, when Django shoots the lawyer, they both stumble out of the room they were in, and there's a guard outside of the room. Which, uh, as Django is falling with the lawyer guy, he puts his pistol up and shoots the the guard outside of the room. And then there are other, there are even more people. I, I didn't know how many people Calvin Candy had in his employ until now. Um, <laughs> hundreds. Literally hundreds. Um, kill one and three more pop up. But so there are people on the upper stairs. So right now Django's in the main foyer, uh, as they used to say, uh, aka foyer for us 21st century folk. And there are people on the stairs, they're armed guards, and Django shoots two of them. Um, that is all the people in the house right now, and then what follows is a very interesting sequence of events where Django is hiding behind bodies, mm, and yes, the, I I thought it was good in this part. Um, there's another part that it, the same thing happens, oh, but yeah, yeah. we'll touch on that later. Uh, but right now, so he's in the main lobby of the Calvin Candy uh, Candyland Mansion, and four more people from the outside come in. Um, he shoot he guns them down easily. Um, and then Django eventually makes his way to a bookcase, uh, but not before shooting seven more people. <laughs> um, you know, he's still using uh, body bodies, dead bodies as um, shields. Um, even he shot one of the people and they started falling, but he caught him and he just held him in front of him and used that guy's pistol uh, to shoot more people. I thought that was a very good scene. All of this is sort of, uh, some of it's in slow motion, uh, but and some of it's set to this. I don't even know the song, but it's a very hype song. Yeah, and it's not a Neo Morricone song. It's more of a modern Tupac slash, slash oh, yeah. uh, Biggie Smalls type <laughs> thing. Uh, but it it, it it I think it fit it, on the first watches. I didn't really think it fit, but. Uh, this watch, I thought, you know, it works pretty yeah, good. I thought, I thought it works. Yeah, even with contrast with the older style music, uh -huh. I still think it it did a good job. So yeah, so the total death count for this um, Candyland Mansion <laughs> massacre is uh, 18. <laughs> and I had to pause this movie several times because so many people were getting shot at the same time. Bullets were flying that I had to just, you know, stop and count. But yes, there were 18 total people, including um, Calvin and Dr. Schultz and some of those main people. Um, so, yeah, after this happens, uh, even more people come in, and Django cannot take them all. Um, and so now Django has to surrender before Stephen, who is still alive, puts a bullet in Broomhilda's head. Um, and so because Django was not in a, in a uh, how do you say it, uh, 
he was not in a position to negotiate mm-hmm. uh, the terms of that. So now uh, Django has to surrender to Stephen and the rest of the people who are still alive. And um, he is eventually... Well, uh, Case wants to talk about a certain scene uh, with a very hot knife and two testicles. Oh, yeah. So uh, before I talk about that, one thing that. about this scene. Um, for those viewers who are Tarantino fans and have seen other Tarantino movies, I would kind of compare it to the uh, like the dojo scene in Kill Bill, where there's just like hundreds of ninjas just coming down the stairs. Like That's kind of a classic thing where it's just like, holy cow, Like where do all these people come from? True. I it, would say it was a bloodbath, just like that. It scene. was a bloodbath. Blood on the walls, blood on the ceiling, blood on the leaves. You know, every yeah. everything had blood on it. Uh, it looked like red inside completely. But like even like the blood splatter is very unrealistic. It's very Tarantino though. It's very spaghetti western. It's very spaghetti. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Although, can you classify this movie as a western though? It's apparently it's set called in the a, south. It's a southern. It's a southern. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, this I, I think this is the standout action scene in this movie. Might be the climax this, of action scenes. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I agree. I think this one um, stands out above the rest just because there's so much at stake. And um, but this this part, this next part, it kind of it kind of derails for me a little bit. I'll be honest. It just kind of um, transitions to uh, very well, random. Yeah, it's very random. Uh, who's purple? Me. Okay. Well, wait, first we had to talk about the hot knife scene. <laughs> what hot knife? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he wanted Case wanted to talk about because this. Django was <laughs> purple. <laughs> because <laughs> Django was in captivity now by the some of the surviving people of uh, Candy's like henchmen. He, we see him upside down in this like, I don't know, like shack, I guess, basically, and he's completely naked, and. One, who was the guy that was about to... Walton Goggins. Yeah, Walton Goggins. That's his that's name it. in the movie and in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's got this knife, and he's getting ready to castrate him. Um, now, could you explain to viewers what castrate means? Well, castration, it, it does mean cutting off someone's testicles. Is it just the testicles? Or is it also the penile? <laughs> Uh, for the listeners, because I don't know. Well, do you, are you familiar with Unix or Unisys? Unis? <laughs> yeah. Unis? Yeah. Yes, I'm familiar. Well, Is that when they don't have anything? I think that's when they just cut off the testicles. So they do leave the penile. I think they do. Uh, okay, so the pole will live to see another day. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, this scene... Now, how does that work? <laughs> You're going to have to look that up on your own time. I'm looking it up right now. Nice. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, this scene, I thought it was getting ready to turn into the dog scene where I was going to have to look away. But, luckily, Jamie Foxx kept his uh, his manhood, and he was able to prosper with Broomhilda in the future. Case paused it several times to see the uh, the full package of Jamie Foxx that is Django Unchained. Um, All right, let's get, let's get to the next scene here, the purple what, scene. What, does that make you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> I don't know. You weren't supposed to say that on camera. Oh, sorry, sorry. What, camera? Yes. On audio. <laughs> So the next scene, um, <laughs> as we were talking, Django does obviously he gets saved. Uh, Steven was comes in at that moment, talks to um, what was his name? I totally forgot. Quentin what. Tarantino. Wait, who are you talking? No, about? no, no. The the guy Stephen. About to the snip snip. Walton Goggins. Walton, Walton Goggins. Goggins. Okay, yeah. So Stephen interrupts <laughs> Walton, um, and he's saved. And so fast forwards to the scene. Where Django is now uh, 
He's sold off. Is, is that right? He is being taken to another plantation where they treat the slaves harshly. No, he's taken to a mine, actually. It's a mine? Yeah. I okay. thought he was... Oh, okay. Maybe it is a mine. It was a mine for slaves and white people, I think, and they treat them terribly. Oh. Um. Did you look this up and in, in to see like the historical antecedent? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it just talked about it in the movie. Oh. oh. I, yeah, this part we were all kind of uh, yeah, falling asleep. It's very random. A little bit. Yeah. It's, it's it's just strange how they inserted it. It, it kind of messed up the flow. But anyway, yeah. But I mean, it does always circle back. Um, so this scene, uh, as we see, Django is now um, tied up and is chained up with also other slaves. And he's no longer unchained. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he is chained. Django chained. And so these these th- three white Aussies. Um, who, for sh- listeners, Aussie <laughs> <laughs> means uh, Australian for yes. for viewers, um, listeners. And actually, one of them is the <laughs> the director, Mr. Tarantino. Um, so in this scene, it... no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> We've just been saying Tarantino, Tarantino. this whole time. <laughs> it threw me off. It threw me off to, s- to hear the real one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, no, no. It's it's not your fault. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. okay. <laughs> How can you? <laughs> what? Nothing, What's wrong? Nothing. 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 What is, what, no, tell me I right now. say, how, how can you mis, mispronounce it? Because it looks like freaking tarantula. I don't know. <laughs> Quentin tarantula? Um, Such, that's not like a 15-syllable word. Anyway. Okay, back. Focus. 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 <laughs> um, in this scene, um, so now uh, these men are all taking a break. Um, they're kind of just chilling from their their track and Django um, is like hey 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 white boy hey you up <laughs> <laughs> hey hey you you, you want to make 11 grand or uh, 11 and a half <laughs> uh, and so he talks to them about um, where they're coming from and basically Mr. Candy uh, is supposedly getting away with murder and so these these guys are saying oh Hey, we want to make some money. Why don't we um, actually go back? And Django's like, "Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there with you guys, and um, I'll show you along, and I can help you guys out." And they're like, "Okay, big bet." <laughs> uh, and so Django gets unchained again. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Django gets unchained, and he now has a gun. Um, and so one of the guys passes off the belt and the gun to Django. Django, as the sharpshooter he is, um, quickly shoots all three guys, or two guys, and then shoots Mr. Quentin, um, who's carrying a bag of dynamite, um, (laughs) and blows him up. (laughs) Um, Pretty cool scene. Um, Unexpected, but very cool scene. Um, Bringing back dynamite, uh, which does play later in the movie again. Mm. But... I mean, the scene kind of had to happen because Tarantino does put himself in pretty much all of his movies. So yeah. He could have been Calvin Candy, though. I, true. I, it's always a very small role, though. He yeah. could have been Django, though. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So Django now has um, possession of a horse, um, weapons, and the other slaves that were with them, um, they are now freed, and so they're doing um, whatever their fate has for them and so Django is obviously going back to rescue his uh, his wife and so it cuts to a scene where he's traveling back and Mason will take it yeah so remember that scene we were talking about with the dog 
Well, uh, vengeance is served on a hot platter because <laughs> Django rolls up in there with his dual pistols and literally kills all eight of the people in the shack. Uh, but it does it does make you feel a little bit bad. Like this this scene, I feel like it was overindulgent in the revenge aspect. I yeah. there because uh, Quentin uh, Tarantino he he puts this scene right before Django comes in and kills them. Of one guy taking a bath, you know, the other guys, you know, playing cards. Kind of humanizing. Kind of humanizing them. I don't think he should have done that because it seems like more of a a crime when Django does it to them. But um, anyway, so vengeance is is served. So the dog people who were at the same dog shack where the runaway slave was eaten alive earlier, <laughs> um, yeah, they all die uh, due to Django's hand, and so he continues on. The horse, horseback, uh, bareback, as I remember. <laughs> yeah. he, he does ride that horse bareback. And so um, he has his gun and his dynamite, and he reunites with Broomhelda once again. Uh, they have a very uh, intimate uh, love sash. Not too intimate, though. Um, <laughs> you don't want to go too over the line because uh, it, it's only rated R after all. And so basically... Um, it is turned into night, and we don't exactly know what Django and Broomhilda were doing between their reunion and night, but it, now there's a scene where uh, Walton Goggins and Steven and some other people that were working in Candyland, um, they're walking back from Calvin Candy's funeral. And so basically they get back to the house, it's night, and they walk in and they see a candle being lit at the top of the stairs and they look up and they see Django standing there and he mm. says something very cool I don't exactly remember <laughs> what neither. it was but it was cool in the moment and um, he basically has this intense stare down uh, with the armed people there are only seven people total um, and so he shoots I believe two people uh, no names you know just random people and then he shoots Walton Goggins um, and he is dead. Doesn't he leave him kind of alive for a little bit? Yeah, I think Just so. kind of screaming kind of around while he's yeah. talking to Steven. Uh, Django's talking to Steven, that is. Um, but uh, he tells one of the seven people who happens to be a slave, he tells her, he says, hey, say goodbye to Miss Candy. And she's like, what? And, she, and he says, say goodbye to Miss Candy. And... Um, <laughs> He says she says goodbye, and then she is blown away by a shotgun blast in a spectacular fashion. Yeah, she, she goes flies through flying. the room. Yeah, she literally <laughs> flies. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty epic. I I love that shot it, because it adds like a very dark humor aspect to it. Yeah, um, which is which is something else. <laughs> so basically, all that's left is um, Django and these two slave girls, and he tells he uh, Django tells the slave girls. He says, yeah. Why don't you get up on out of here? And they uh, oblige uh, very quickly, as quick as they can. Um, they still got their big bosoms and corsets, and they have to, you know, run out of the house. So now it's just Django and Steven. And Steven is making this big plea for his life. And knowing Django, he doesn't let things go uh, because even though it's in his name, uh, he's he just says, look, uh, I'm going to shoot you now. And there's a really – there's another cool line. I forget – yeah, Stephen says I only count. I counted six rounds or something, mm -hmm. oh, which yeah. would imply that his gun was empty. And then Django says, 
I count two guns. Oh, <laughs> that was so cool. Steven always thinks he's getting the upper hand. Exactly. On but not here. Yeah, it was so good to see Django finally, you know, come full circle. Mm-hmm. And so he shoots Steven in the kneecaps, and um, he does not, you know, finish him off in the way you would expect. Finish him. He does, <laughs> he does not finish him. He does not finish on him. He shoots, uh, so he shoots his kneecaps out and then leaves him to die on the floor. But not before he takes that same match that he struck at the top of the stairwell. And he lights a, what seems to be, a a dynamite fuse. Hmm. And so it is eventually uh, figured out that Django, while they were at the funeral, planted dynamite all through the house. Uh, The dynamite he got from the Aussies. And so, Smitty Bacall. Smitty Bacall. So he walks out of the house, leaves Stephen there to die. And he walks away from the house, and the house blows up in spectacular fashion. Um, much like this mansion, my mind was blown when I saw this scene. Um, yeah, excellent, excellent uh, final retribution for Django to have. Um, and so he walks away from the house, all cool. You know, like like those Power Rangers they used to do. They just yeah. walk away from the big guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, the final explosion. Yes, the final explosion. Yeah, yeah. They never like got launched forward or anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was very close to the house. Yeah. Like, there were embers further away from him. I feel like that's like a Schwarzenegger thing too, just like walking away from yeah. the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Any '80s '80s action mm-hmm. film. Uh, so that was very reminiscent of those. Um, that was also very good. Um, and so then Broomhilda's waiting for him outside. They have a sweet little reunion. You know. Oh, fun fact! Before I forget. Uh, the horse that Django rides throughout the entire movie is actually Jamie Foxx's personal horse. <laughs> really? Yes, oh, he, used it, he used it for this movie. Wait, does he, like, ride horses outside of the movie? I guess. I mean, I guess he rides... I think That's the nice. horse's name was, like, Cheetah or something. Ooh. Which is funny because it's a horse (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yeah that's i don't know why i mentioned that but anyway uh so yeah so that happens and then they ride off into the not sunset but it's already night so they just moonset yeah yeah so they ride off into the moonset and that ends our movie yeah it's it's all tied up in a very neat little bow Mm -hmm. full of blood Um, so yeah, so now let's <laughs> dig into our favorite parts. Yeah, um, there sure. were a lot of good scenes. Actually, I can only think of a few bad scenes because you know Tarantino's a very good director. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, we'll dig into our favorite parts. Uh, let's let our guests go first. Well, I thank you. Um, yeah, so the reason why I kind of picked this movie was uh, it's besides I guess Inglorious Bastards. It's uh, one of two of Tarantino's history movies where there is some sort of actual historical setting. And being a history minor, just graduated from a Virginia Tech, you know, I, uh, I thought it would be pretty cool. So my favorite scene um, was, we call it the, the Brittle Brother Big Daddy Plantation Murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so good. Now, to be completely honest, I thought it wouldn't have been a good movie, but I thought the movie could have ended right here because as far as all the Calvin Candy stuff goes, it was just Django getting a little too excessive. Like, Django really didn't have that much against Calvin Candy, but the Brittle Brothers, he really uh, he really hated them because of what he did to Brumhilda and himself earlier. Um, there's like a flashback. So I thought that was pretty cool how he just like came up there strutting his stuff, riding the horse with the, the blue outfit, and he just murders all the people that, uh, that did him wrong in the past. So 
Yeah, I would say that was my favorite. You, also, wait, what'd you have to say? Uh, you have to say? I was just going to say it's an interesting position for you to have that you would have liked the movie to have ended. I would not have liked the movie to have ended here. I said oh, you, it could you said, have. Oh, you said it could have. Yeah. See, I don't think so. Because he's still not reunited with Broomhilda yet. That is true. I feel like That's Calvin true. Candy does play an integral role. Without Calvin Candy, he wouldn't be able to get Broomhilda back. Right. But, but I see what you mean. Uh, like he did get a slight piece of the revenge pie. Yeah. I think, but like it was like teasing him. Yeah, yeah. Like they I didn't tickled, think about they that. They tickled his junk, but didn't do any more <laughs> because, with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they sold him to Calvin, or they sold Broomhilda to Calvin Candy. Without Calvin Candy, he wouldn't have gotten Broomhilda back. Right. So. But I, I, I like where you know it's a good. I think it's a very good scene. It sets a it's it's table setting for what happens later. Yeah, definitely. So. And then one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, I'm big into historic architecture, and Big Daddy's plantation was actually filmed at the Evergreen Plantation in Wallace, Louisiana. Um, but it looks, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it looks exactly like it does in the movie. It was built in 1790, so it's pretty cool that uh, Tarantino was able to get access to some some real historic buildings during the movie. So that kind of added into why I thought that scene was my favorite. All nice. right, so uh, who do we have next? We've got Allie. We have Purple, yes. <laughs> Yes, purple, also garage band. Um, yeah, so my favorite scene, I spoke about this scene earlier in the movie. It was about the, the KKK scene. And this was, this was a, um, a humor part of the movie. So the KKK members are all like um, gathered up. They're on top of their horses, um, pretty much talking about a plan of what they're going to do. And part of this is where... The men are debating if they should wear the bags on top of their on, on top of their head, <laughs> and and the guy was like, um, you know, like I think the bags were a good idea, but <laughs> should we save it for next time? <laughs> it's probably the, the purely funniest scene. Of the movie. Oh yes, <laughs> and and they're like, okay, no bags this time. We'll just go. And then the other guy was like, wait a minute, we're, we're gonna keep the bags. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jonah Hill puts a puts a good humor in this part, um, but yeah, I thought it was really funny. Um, it, was, it was totally opposite of what was gonna happen, um, but yeah, it was really funny. The bag scene, <laughs> guys, gotta watch it. Just watch the YouTube snippet. <laughs> yeah, you can you'll, find a clip. You'll you'll understand. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and that's the only scene where Jonah Hill's in. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So you gotta watch it. Uh, uh, but I, <laughs> the best line in that I think is when uh, Big Daddy, you know, who's the leader of this uh, Colonel Sanders, Colonel Sanders, who's mm. the leader of this uh, Triple K band of misfits, um, he he said, "We're wearing the masks." <laughs> The only people who need to see are the horses. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought, it's it's so funny. I mean, Tarantino really did a good job with bringing humor into this. Yeah, adding some levity to the otherwise um, mm-hmm. very violent and uh, unrelenting mm-hmm. screenplay he has made. Now we should we should point out one thing about that scene is that. Is not officially the KKK, more of like a predecessor to the KKK, yes, I guess. Yes, to explain, yes. Yeah, so um, the KKK didn't really arise uh, in the southern United States until post-Civil War, um, kind of a revolt against Reconstruction um, by the United States government. So I would say it was uh, definitely a homage to how we see the KKK today, but more of like a lynch mob, I guess. Right. So this apparently, according to historical antecedent, um, I don't know why I keep using that. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> they are actually called the Regulators. 
That was the. Oh really? I didn't yes, know that, that was the precursor to the KKK. <clears throat> mm. So like in this time, what was it? 1958. 1858. Or 2058. 2021. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but no, 1858. Uh, the regulators were actually mm. in in charge of the uh, racism realm of. Which I hobby. mean, most likely there was some sort of organized. Uh, Controllers <laughs> ever since uh, I mean, yeah, s- slaves have been since the dawn of time. Yeah, it's a very, very bad part of our past that we'd like to forget. But uh, anyway, I don't think we should forget. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we should. I think we should um, remember it, and um, you know, don't forget the past because you're doomed to repeat it. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to forget it, but we can't. Right? Yeah, I'd say. I'd say some of us would like to forget it. So my favorite part is <laughs> it goes back to that dinner scene that we talked so much about. Um, really, I don't think I don't know what else can be said. Uh, Leo's acting was excellent in it. Um, it built up the tension that made the final, sh- or not the final shootout, but the the one before the final shootout shootout, uh, the the Candyland Mansion massacre. Um, I, I thought it was a good precursor to that. It built it up a lot. Uh, it made it that much more satisfying. Um, and also to see uh, Calvin Candy's rage, uh, but also even like the little interchanges that happen, um, such as like uh, Django restricting himself from pulling out his pistol all dinner because uh, Calvin would say something derogatory towards Broomhilda or something like that. And so um, it just showed it, it showcased a lot of acting and a lot of um, in depth character work. So. I always like those scenes, even the quiet scenes. So the dinner scene was definitely a standout for me. Um, the whole, the whole, the whole shebang. So yeah, uh, I guess that's all our favorite parts. So let's move on to the does not pass the vibe check section. Uh, we had a few. Each of us had like one outstanding one. Uh, for me, the does not pass the vibe check scene is when uh, the after the mansion massacre, uh, Django is transported to that mine that we were talking about yeah. uh, with Tarantino there uh, with the three Aussies. I really thought that took away, I don't know, it, it felt like it was padding the runtime a little bit. I, I, I mean, I do think that there should have been a scene in between the massacre and the final scene, uh, but I don't think this was it. It didn't work for me. It kind of it slowed down the movie to a point because you had this big action set piece before and then now it's just kind of stalled it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It it, it definitely um, it was not my favorite. It kind of took me out for a little bit. Uh, you know, you could take a quick nap in this scene. Yeah, I do feel like it was probably the weakest scene in the movie. Right. I felt like they should Tarantino should have tied in the mansion massacre to the dynamite scene. I don't think mm-hmm. he should have left at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but that's just me personally, and I I, I think it doesn't hinder it too much because um, we did get the funny scene where. Uh, Tarantino gets blown up by dynamite. <laughs> so that's always fun to see. But um, yeah, that was my does not pass the uh, vibe check scene. All right, is that me next? Blue is you. All right. <laughs> Who's so, blue? Uh, <laughs> so my does not pass the vibe check. Um, like I said earlier, coming from kind of a history background, there are a couple inaccuracies that I just will let past because it kind of makes the movie better but one thing is the geographic ambiguity uh of where the heck this 
uh, movie is actually taking place. So there's parts where they're shooting at snowmen to do target practice, and then the next day they'll be magically um, in somewhere that looks like Texas. Uh, then they'll be kind of the deep south with uh, Spanish moss and stuff. So I was just a little bit confused. Uh, I mean, it still made the movie cool if you didn't think about it that hard, but... One thing is that uh, Big Daddy's Plantation, which was, I said, was my favorite part. Um, it's supposedly in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is the home of uh, Dollywood and Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Which, uh, if you've been there before or even seen any pictures, you know uh, there's no fields there. It's only mountains. So cotton can't really grow there. And then there's no Spanish moss, uh, which was pretty prevalent um, in Big Daddy's Plantation. So, I mean, I kind of would have liked them to just say that that was... Alabama or uh, even Georgia would make more sense, but the mountains of Tennessee—I don't know—it was kind of, uh, kind of maybe a something that Tarantino just kind of passed over during the writing. So yeah, that was kind of my part that didn't really pass the vibe check. But the rest of the parts where they were just frolicking around, uh, listening to "I've Got a Name" by by Jim Crotch. Uh, mm. I mean, it, it was kind of confusing, but it was a good scene. Confusing? I mean, they were just were in Montana one day and then uh, oh, you, Mississippi but the you But you approve of the song choice? Well, earlier, you know, I said it wasn't really my favorite. Um, but when you were kind of talking about the modern music used in the, the big shootout scene, you know, it, it did capture their, their frolicking joy that they were experiencing during that time. Yeah, I thought it did. I thought it was a nice breather to everything else that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, all right, Purple. <laughs> yes, I am purple. Um, so my my scene that doesn't pass the vibe check. Uh, this was the scene where Django was recently a free man, and this is where they're first going um, to their first bounty of the three brothers. And Django is dressed up in this like skin tight blue, <laughs> like very vibrant blue outfit. Um, I I think it. Like, it seemed to me like it was, like, all one suit. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was one suit, but it was just, like, I was, like... It was a onesie. <laughs> it looked like a very pompous onesie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, like, okay, oh, okay. Um, first outfit. All right, go, let's start off with this skin-tight suit. Um, didn't pass the vibe check for me. I don't know. I thought since he was... If he was going for, like, a badass look... I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that that did not pass the vibe check. <laughs> didn't one of the other slaves mention it? They're like, "What are you wearing?" Um, yeah, it was pretty funny though. That might be some foreshadowing though to just how Django is. Like, we yeah. didn't really get to see his true like style choices, I guess. Besides mm-hmm. this one point, so maybe in the future when he's a free man, he'll be a pretty flamboyant dresser. Yes. Yeah. 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 That was my. Doesn't pass the vibe check part. So. Yep, Garage Band had to pick out the outfit. Yeah, because <laughs> you guys know I'm very fashion oriented. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, so moving on. So our next segment, rating um, the movie. We're gonna rate this out of how many mandingos? <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. So, <laughs> all right. So, case start us off. All right. So start off. Um, I picked this movie because it was one of my favorites and I would say it's definitely in my top two um, of Tarantino's movies so for me I would say four out of five Mandingos wow that's very low 
You thought five out of five. Yeah, I was I was thinking five. I mean, out of it's five. not a perfect movie. It's too long for one. True. Okay. Yeah, but that's fair. If it was if it was a little bit shorter, it'd be. Five uh, out of five. We, now to let you know, you can do like point. Oh. So you can do like four point five. Okay, that might change things. Yeah. See, because um, four is a little low for me. Yeah. See, I wouldn't know because I'm just a guest. So. <laughs> and he's never listened before, so. You know. <laughs> Hey, Black Panther episode. The, okay, true, true. All right. The uh, the pilot episode. The pilot. Um, I'm gonna change it to four point two five out of five. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not bad. Still low, but okay. <laughs> uh, what was your? Just curious. What was your other uh, <clears throat> top Tarantino? Um, you said one out of two. Yeah, I think Inglorious Bastards is my other one. Oh, I think we're in the same boat on that one. I think that one slightly edges out this one. Once for my time in Hollywood, uh, which is the newest one, was definitely a a downer bummer okay for me. i think if you don't have any expectation for it it would be awesome yeah, you know what i mean true, because because the trailers were hyping it up to be this is a whole other podcast episode but <laughs> yeah. the trailers were hyping it up to be some type of like manson murder yeah movie when all it was was two guys including calvin candy driving <laughs> around old 60s hollywood and just you know living it up now my thing is if i was watching it just to get like some ambiance it was an amazing movie. But as far as the story goes, the story yeah, wasn't I that great. I feel, honestly, I feel like if you were on Inhibitors, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be an excellent yeah, true. choice. Uh, <laughs> Which I think most of the, the cast was on Inhibitors during the movie. So, As in the actors? or No, the, the, okay. the characters. True, Maybe very, the actors, too. Very true. We don't want to... Calvin uh, Candy was doing that long <laughs> yeah. pipe thing. Um, okay, Limp Biscuit's turn to rate this thing. <laughs> Oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to be more generous than our guest. I'm going to give Django Unchained a 4.89 wow. out of 5. That's pretty Mandingos. High. Yeah, so it's almost a full Black Hercules. So it's, this, is more like a, this is more like a Fred type situation. Um, I, the reason is uh, the only thing I can pinpoint is the runtime. And that one scene that I mentioned earlier with Tarantino, it kind of drags it down for me a little bit, but then it swoops back up at the end. Um, so it saves it. So, yeah, other than that, I thought it was a great movie. Um, excellent action. The cinematography was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acting was on uh, stellar. I mean, probably one of the best act, like acting um, scenes, too. Where's the acting? It's in this movie. Um, <laughs> So yeah, overall excellent. I love the cast. I love the. It's very. It's a very iconic movie. I think everyone should watch this movie at least once. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my rating. All right. So my rating, um, I would say, I would rate it a four point five out of five. Mandingos. Um, <laughs> nice. Very good rating. I I enjoyed the movie. Um, lots of action. I definitely saw uh, a lot of good effects as well especially with um incorporating a lot of blood and gore i think that was a pretty good um implementation uh because you as you like as you see like in some like tv shows they don't really pull it off or it's just like it just doesn't look natural um i think they did a really good job with this and so but um like the others said i think my only caveat of this movie was just the length of the movie mm-hmm. um i think it could have been cutting down probably like cut cut some scenes here and there to shorten it but overall really good movie um 
definitely would recommend, especially the KKK scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there's like an action scene supercut too of all the deaths in this movie. Yeah, you can um, probably find that on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will I would like to mention is uh, the Tarantino does not use CGI, so this movie feels very natural. It feels very raw. Uh, every punch seems to be real. Um, I mean, not actually, but like every whip and flogging. Uh, <laughs> It just see, it just seems very real, and that's what makes it more uh, grotesque and yeah. uh, just more cinematic, in my opinion. Um, so, all right, before wait, 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 we wait, wait. one oh. thing I wanted to say. Okay, sure. I was thinking more about it, and I think that my top two more recent Tarantino movies are Django and Inglorious. My favorite one is definitely the Kill Bill, uh, Volume One and Volume Two. Interesting. So you lumped them in as one. It was originally meant to be one movie, right? With like so a four-hour runtime, and then but, oh, probably more than that. Yeah, maybe. judging by this movie's <laughs> runtime. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think because I went into both of those movies knowing stuff about World War II history and early American history, because Kill Bill is like a movie all of its own. That was my favorite mo- favorite Tarantino movie. But if you had to pick a part, which one? One or two? I think part two is generally considered by. Critics to be the better one. Yes, I agree. Including um, me. I mean, but to me, they're one movie. It's okay. All right, that's fair. Just wondering. Um, all right, so those are the ratings for Django Unchained. Um, before we we move on to the fun fact, uh, I would like to shout out our sister podcast. We can't call them sister yet, can we? Uh, like I, stepsister. <laughs> I, I I would say our good, friend, good our, good fellow our, podcast. Yes, good fellow podcast. Partners, yeah, our friends. Yeah. Friends, good mm-hmm. friends. Um, the origin of this, uh, we kind of started insta-DMing each other. Uh, I've blossomed into a, a beautiful friendship. Uh, no, it really is a good podcast, though. It's called Franchise Killers. Um, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. But yeah, they, they just have a good vibe to them. They've got a whole panel, so I think it's five or six people. And they've what got, do they you know, do? They, so they review movies, mm. but they are re- review movies that are in like a franchise. Oh, and then okay. sometimes they review a movie that was supposed to start a franchise but didn't work, Ooh. and therefore it's like a franchise killer. So they like go through each one. It's really interesting. They've done like uh, the one I listened to recently was uh, Atlantis: The Lost Empire. They did that one. Um, they've done the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly franchise. Um, they've done Die Hard. Um, so if you if you like what we're doing, go check them out too. Uh, they mostly deal with action movies too, but um, they've got a, they've got some a variety. Um, but yeah, overall excellent excellent podcast. Uh, go check them out. Yep. And so concluding our podcast, we always have our fun fact. And so this one was actually submitted via our Instagram story. We finally got a real one. We yes. don't have to make our own. <laughs> <laughs> and so we do post on our Instagram story to send us a question that we can feature on our podcast. And so this one was sent. Um, from one of my good friends, uh, Tiffany Duong, uh, and she's and she said, "What is your favorite breakfast food?" Mm. Um, before we start, uh, please go follow her at the Duong one on Instagram. Should you spell that? Uh, at T H E D U O N G O N E. And so I will start us off. Uh, my favorite breakfast food, uh, I have to say, is bacon. Um, I like to cook it more on the crunchier side, and so like leaving it in the microwave for an extra minute or so. <laughs> that that makes it crunchier. Yeah, I feel like microwaving it would make it floppier. 
no, bacon? no. Yeah, b- yeah, for bacon. It, mm. Like it doesn't burn it. It, it mm. makes it extra crunchy. Uh, it contracts the water molecules. Right. That's what a microwave does. <laughs> it contracts the water so, molecules. Yeah, I, I eat a bunch of bacon. Um, I eat eggs and bacon for lunch a bunch. So, ooh, I rhymed. <laughs> ooh, Poet um, didn't know it. So yeah, bacon is my favorite breakfast food. Limpy. Limpy. Oh, that's my name now, Limpy. Um, okay, for breakfast, I don't know if I do. I have to make it myself. Or can this be supplied to? No, me? supplied to. You. Then I want yeah. a Denny's Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> it has pancakes. It has bacon. It has sausage. Is that the thing we got in Greenville? Was it? Oh, the free one. Yeah. That we tipped twenty eight cents. <laughs> twenty eight cents. It was free. It was a free meal. So how how much do you tip? You can't do twenty percent of zero. The general rule is fifteen percent of zero. Of zero, but of like the original price. No, what you do if it's twenty percent? Twenty percent on zero, you do twenty cents. Twenty plus eight plus oh eight. That's the gosh. rule. Because we ate eight pancakes. So how did uh, you guys get a free meal? It was an ad on on uh, TLC because we were watching that twenty four seven on Seven Little Johnstons. Go check that out. That's our that's <laughs> another partner of ours. Yeah, that's yeah. our friend Seven Little Johnstons. Yeah. Um, Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I would like one of those big meals. Like, if I'm going to eat breakfast food, it's going to be a lot. So your favorite f- breakfast food is a meal? The whole shebang. My favorite <laughs> breakfast food is breakfast. <laughs> I'll take but, everything. But no, like, you know what I mean. Like, I don't have to have waffles. Like, I don't really – or cereal. I used to love cereal. Mm-hmm. Now I can do without it because I don't like milk. But um, So, yeah, I would do pancakes, two pancakes preferably, with butter in between the two the, the two flaps – and then uh, syrup on top with, uh, let's go, one piece of bacon. Now, I do like it on the chewier side. I don't like it crisp, I'll be Ew, honest. Really? I know, yeah. I like to chew the gristle in the fat. Yeah, I like a good me. crunch. Nah, I don't like it crunch. I like, to, I like to break a few teeth, like just like grinding it off. <laughs> um, so like bacon, I like sausage. Uh, if I had to choose, probably patty. Links just seem artificial, and then um, and then some eggs. Uh, although I've been on the fritz with eggs because I've had eggs every single day for the past and two weeks. This morning you had. Some and shell. this morning I had some shell. I'll be honest; it took me a few bites before I realized it. I thought it was a big piece of pepper. Um, so yes, that would be Denny's Grand Slam would probably be my. Oh, maybe a biscuit. Maybe oh, maybe a biscuit bro. in there. What? That's what I was going to say. Okay, then never mind. I won't get a biscuit, but I will uh, let uh, Chase answer this question. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to make it much much simpler. My favorite <laughs> breakfast food is a home-cooked scratch biscuit by my granny. Shout out to Jeanette. Um, Follow her on Instagram, OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is uh, something I've been having since my childhood, and her biscuits are very good, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, hey, maybe that should be like a giveaway. For mm. like a like a, a sweepstakes type thing for this podcast, free biscuits. We could give out free biscuits. biscuits. Yeah, free free Jeanette biscuits. <laughs> Jeanette, the best a man can get. Okay, um, uh, is that it? Or did we just finish? We yeah. Oh, wait, we you... have a couple more things to say. Really, only one. One last thing. One well, last I, thing. Yeah, and then I wanted to just say thank you to you guys. But well, okay, I'll, I'll we'll say, say that. Okay, yeah. I'll All say right. that after okay. this. Okay, so, okay, uh, big bet, big bet. Today. Uh, for for those in the media like us, like me newly today, um, it's been a rough day. Uh, Larry King did pass away. He is the other king besides King Schultz. Um, mm. But yeah, he's uh, kind of been a legend for many years. I believe he was 87. So uh, yeah, he's uh, 
He's a great guy, and yep. we were very sad to hear that. Yeah, we are sad. I thought he died 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, oh. really been doing much lately. Yeah, he's but... been married. He, do you know he's been married 14 times? Really? Something like that. I know it's high. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, um, but the last thing I wanted to say was, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be moving on Monday uh, to a different state, and just wanted to say thank you to the guys, uh, Allie and Mason. They've been uh, my close friends since freshman year of college, and... I appreciate them having me on the podcast. Hopefully, uh, I don't want to kind of uh, invite myself, but maybe sometime in the future, you know. Please invite yourself. If they're doing another... uh, (laughs) Please come over. Yes. (laughs) Another movie that I'm interested in, maybe I could join them via Zoom or uh, even come here in person. So, Allie and Mason, you know, I want to thank you guys. Well, thank you for coming on. We definitely, uh, you know, this is the end of one chapter, but the beginning of another. Mm -hmm. And... um, we can't forget that. So the book is still going on. <laughs> hey, you are our very first guest. Yes. And so wow. This and, and that's special. Yeah. Yeah. So to our one listener, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. Um, but no, this is a, this is so much fun. I loved having a guest on. Um, I can't stand being around Alex by myself. Um, <laughs> but no, I, it was a great having you here. Um, you really brought something else new to the table, um, and we appreciate you. And um, good riddance. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yep. So no, best of um, luck at your new job. Um, yes. Shout out. Should we shout out your job? No. <laughs> that yet. He might get fired. Uh, <laughs> best of um, luck. Um, congrats on graduating. We still got one semester left. So hopefully we do graduate. Um, yes. Yeah. I might not. <laughs> by design. No. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we we wish you the best of luck. You know, have a great life. <laughs> Um, I hear you're getting married soon. Yeah, I'm getting that... married tomorrow, actually. Yes. And you're not invited. Okay, I was not planning on going. Um... <laughs> wow, way to end on a positive. <laughs> we had all that heartfelt stuff in it. Uh, but no, it was an awesome time. Thank you for coming. Uh, that is all we have for today. Um, Alex, you got anything to say? Um, besides that, uh, catch us on our next episode, which we will be talking about The Expendables. Ooh, fancy. I haven't seen that one in a while, so it'll be yep. interesting to revisit. Yep. So please take care. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Schmittybuckle. Schmittybuckle. <laughs> All right. Catch you guys on the flip. Uh, have a great one. Stay safe out there. Uh, be happy. Be kind to one another. And don't get obese like James Harden. All right. <laughs> we'll catch you guys. Bye.